From Connext Media, this is Atlanta Born and Brand. I'm your host, Jonathan Hilliard. Atlanta Born and Brand is a show all about businesses built right here in the capital of the South. But more importantly, it's a show about their founders. We wanted to find some of the city's most interesting entrepreneurs and creators, hear about their challenges, successes, and how they built a brand that will last. Today, we're sitting down with Hollis Calloway, founder and CEO of Montaigne Sparkling Spring Water. Sparkling water has surged in popularity in recent years, and we're huge advocates of supporting a local alternative to the big names. What makes Montaigne so unique is that it comes from a spring with quartzite bedrock, which means it produces some of the purest water on the planet. We're chatting with Hollis about the history of this unique spot in nature and how the water finds its way from the earth into your can. Hey everybody, an exciting day in the history of Atlanta Born and Brand. We're here with Hollis Calloway from Montaigne Sparkling Spring Water. Hollis, appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. Absolutely, and Hollis, uh, you know, you came on the right day today because today is our first day on our new set here, and it's also our first episode that we are doing a video element for on YouTube. So if you're seeing this on YouTube, uh, feel free to go back into your favorite podcast app and hear all the previous episodes of the show. Uh, We're now in season four. Is that right, Kat? Yeah, Kat, our producer behind the camera. So thanks for being our guinea pig today. Honored to help christen it. We (laughs) we should spray some Montaigne all over the the I like it. I like (laughs) it. Yeah, Montaigne christening for sure. So Hollis, um, we love to just dive into kind of the deeper stories behind Atlanta brands on this show, but something I like to ask people first, and I think this could be a pretty interesting uh, answer for you, is you meet somebody on the streets of Atlanta, you're walking to lunch or whatever, and, and you strike up a conversation with somebody, and they say, well, Hollis, what do you do? What's your What's your answer to that person? Well, I, I don't have an easy, clear way, and that's happened. I was at the dentist on Monday, and and you know he, he asked what I do, and you know I, I never know where to start. But I, you know, generally I make sparkling spring water in a can, uh, and and there's usually a lot of questions after that. Sure. But, uh, it's I, I don't have a concise way to to describe what I do. Sure. Well, <laughs> myself knowing your story a little bit just from previous experience, I don't want to skip over too much for the audience, but. You're pretty much Georgia, born and bred. You grew up kind of in the area. Tell us a little bit about, you know, where you grew up and kind of uh, your family background and what ultimately led you to uh, to Montaigne. Yeah, I grew up near Columbus, Georgia, mm-hmm. in Hamilton, Pine Mountain area. Yeah. So relatively rural. It was mm-hmm. a 30-minute drive to the grocery store. <laughs> and a, it, it was great growing up out in the country, you know, two older brothers and, and, you know, playing around and, and a lot of fun. Um, my family has been in that area since I believe it was 1932. Wow. When my great grandparents, they had heard about this spring and they went on a picnic at the spring. They fell in love with it and bought the spring and the surrounding property from, from the guy that owned it. And, Mm -hmm. It's been an important part of our our family yeah. and something and 
there's been appreciation for the spring that's passed on generation to generation. Sure. I would love to see the bill of sale for that, <laughs> that piece of land in like 1932, like you said. I can imagine just economics being what they are now and land, and, and then I'm sure they got a steal on it relatively. I, I don't know the details yeah. of that transaction, but I, <laughs> I, I would be interested to know as well. Yeah. So talk about growing up and, you know, this spring, you know, you talked about it being important to your family, but how did that manifest itself to you growing up? Was it, you know, did you really appreciate the importance of it, you know, having kind of always been, been around it? Did you understand sort of uh, the unique, the uniqueness of that? Not at all. Yeah. It's being around it growing up. I did not realize how unique or special it was. And it was not until I, you know, kind of went off to college and after college that mm-hmm. I started to realize that it's it's a pretty special place and yeah. and it's um, very unique habitats around the spring. There's there's four threatened habitats around the spring that support dozens of of threatened and endangered species, mm-hmm. and they're pretty unique to this terrain. So it's, you know, I don't want to say it's like no other place in the world, but mm-hmm. uh, it's it's ge- it's it's definitely geologically and, and environmentally very unique. That's amazing. So tell me, you go where do you go to college? Where did you I, go to college? I went to a small liberal arts college in Orlando yeah. called Rollins. Okay. Got you. So you go off to college and mm-hmm. after school, um, what, what are you thinking career path wise? What was sort of your your goal as you were growing up and you get into college? What uh, what sort of path were you were you kind of aimed towards? Well, it's it's funny you should ask. I was thinking about it on the drive out here and my senior year of college, I did an internship mm-hmm. in uh, financial services and I was interested in it at the time. And by the end of my internship, I had to write a you know synopsis of, of what I had done, and basically, uh, with the arrogance of a college senior, I I wrote that I would, uh, although I was originally interested in this field, I'm, I would rather you know shoot for the stars and fall on my face than than go sit in a cubicle for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, a few years after graduating, I you know you want that security you want to 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 you know have a professional career and i ended up working in almost exactly what i had done in that internship and said (laughs) i'd never want to do again um and then predictably enough uh, after a few years there uh, i got the entrepreneurial itch and yeah and wanted to escape the cubicle well speaking of the itch you know that's something we talked to a lot of folks about is that something that now looking back, you can kind of see those traits in yourself um, as a younger lad, or is that something that you didn't really think about until you know you sort of experienced that corporate world and, and decided, hey, this isn't for me. I I could probably see the some of the traits there, you know, mm-hmm. uh, risk taking and and, yeah. and uh, having you know, it, it's very rewarding to be able to be creative. And to put that into a physical form and 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 have it get traction and take off, so it's um, yeah. I think there's probably a little bit of that growing mm. up. That's cool. So 
you're working this job, you know, like you said, that was similar in the, in the industry that you did your internship in and you talked about getting that entrepreneurial itch. How do you start to scratch that? What are your first steps? Do you go cold turkey and, and quit the corporate job? Or, you know, how do the, does the story play out that ultimately leads you to, okay, I'm taking a, a completely different path here? Well, I was, I was drinking a lot of sparkling water, <laughs> and I wanted to make use of this great resource that's, that's been in the family, the, yeah. the spring. And the other part of the story is my dad bottles the water, just conventional bottled water. Sure. And yeah, I'm like, hey, dad, you know, the sparkling water thing, it's going to be big. Um, I just, you know, I can feel it in my gut. Yeah. And they're, you know, kind of like, oh, we're, we're interested, but we're not sure. And ultimately decided that I would uh, make sparkling water. And, and, and so it's been a great way to use the great resource we have and, and also uh, been a uh, great adventure. Yeah. So tell me more, you know, I think the lay person, you know, we think of a spring and, and we just think of a creek. But tell, tell me a little bit more about the actual workings of, of what a spring is and, and the process of how you go from that great natural resource to the Montane Sparkling Spring Water product that, that we see here today right behind you. Yeah, yeah. The spring, it it's produces 400 gallons a minute, and mm-hmm. it's up against this hillside. It's very beautiful and lush. It's moss and ferns and and great tree canopy and uh it comes out uh very cold and 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 exceptionally pure due to the type of water that it's filtered through it's quartzite rock Hmm. which is it's silicon dioxide it doesn't break down over time and as a result we have some of the purest water in the world right here in georgia uh doesn't come from fiji doesn't come from france it's it's (laughs) right here in georgia um and so we tapped it 110 feet below the surface, so there's no risk of surface contamination. Wow. Uh, and it's piped out of the environmentally sensitive area to the production facility. Yeah. And so that it's not the there's not any industrial uh, stuff going on at the actual spring itself, which is nice. So dig into that for me. No, no pun intended. Uh, 110 feet below the surface. How do you tap a spring 110 feet below the surface? You hire a consultant who specializes in <laughs> tapping springs 110 feet below the surface. Uh, yeah. That, that it was about 20 years ago, hmm. um, but I, there were divers involved, and they did a geological map and survey of the, you know, what's going on sure. underground, and um, yeah, whenever. Whenever in doubt, get a get a professional with yeah. lots of experience. Without a doubt, without a doubt, I just the logistics are just kind of blowing my mind there for a minute. But okay, so you know you've got this natural resource. Mm-hmm. You know you want to do something else with it. Was your dad already bottling at that point? Yep. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So, what is your your thought process? I know you said you're drinking a lot of sparkling spring water, but how do you go or uh, sparkling water? How do you go from that? What are your first steps of sort of figuring out what your brand is going to be, what your product line is going to be. How do you start to uh, build a business from, from that initial idea? Well, it was, it was very much a kind of grassroots and, and organic effort. Mm-hmm. I 
did not have much money, so I, I tried to educate myself and uh, as much as possible and talk to as many people as possible. Being at Switchyards was a uh, great, great way to get input and feedback yeah. from the rest of the community and just learn from what other people were doing. And to be candid, our first iteration of branding was, you know, it was a, it was a good first shot. <laughs> um, <laughs> the draft, the draft yeah. uh, series, I like it, yeah. But I'd say the the most impactful uh, part of the branding was after we had already come to market and mm-hmm. getting direct consumer feedback, I would go to the farmer's market at Pont City Market and yeah. set up my cart and and try to sell, you know, uh, can, cold cans and eight packs to folks. And people are pretty candid with their feedback. Sure. So having to communicate my brand message concisely over and over and over again <laughs> really helped me understand which components were resonating which ones were, you know, going a little too technical about the spring, perhaps, and kind of going over people's heads, yeah. um, and helped me distill down what was most important. And I also uh, teamed up with a great brand identity designer here in Atlanta, and we updated the the packaging and the the visual component of the brand as well as the the messaging after about a year, year and a half in, in yeah. production. And, and we've been very happy with, with, um, with the results. What you said you had to kind of massage your delivery and your message. What is the message that at this point that you've learned that resonates with folks about your product and really kind of connects with them? It, there's a few, few components of it that are, that are the strongest, but our, biggest one is that we're sourced from a spring the other guys are are municipally sourced they're just tap water and uh you have one of the big guys their plant is right next to lake lanier and yeah and you can guess where their water comes from <laughs> so we want to provide transparency on our sourcing and we have our water quality testing and and other relevant information yeah. on our website about uh the spring and and uh, verified verified by a third party uh, the other guys if you go and search or go to their websites it doesn't say where their water comes from and yeah so we brag, on purpose yeah we brag <laughs> about our source they they're embarrassed by their source so that's yeah. our our big differentiator and the one that's it's probably the most difficult to communicate and differentiate because you can't you don't want to be negative in your brand messaging sure and so, you know, I, I, I can explain it, you know, to, in a conversation with somebody like, like this, but, you know, having it concisely communicated hmm. on your packaging or, yeah. or calling out, you know, the other guys negatively, uh, it's not something that uh, goes over well. So sure, that's, that's a big challenge and one we, we still try to figure out how to navigate that. Yeah, and you see, I mean... So many brands now are sort of built on um, separating yourself by trying to knock down the opponent. So doing that in a way that, you know, puts a spotlight on your brand and highlights the great things about your brand 
like you said, is super important because I think consumers a lot of times see through that, you know, especially when they just feel like you're, you know, taking shots at the other guy to try to, to raise yourself up. And I think, you know, sometimes it works if you're clever enough, I think, in your, your delivery of doing that. But a lot of times it turns people off, you know. So mm-hmm. I think the fact that you guys are uh, cognizant, of that, cognizant of that is is super important. Okay, tell me, you get the business up and running. You talked about kind of the iterations of branding. Um, first of all, when did you uh, when did you first start the business? What was the year? Uh, May twenty second, uh, two thousand seventeen. Okay, it was my first production run. Gotcha. Yep. So you're coming up on four years now. Yep. You know, let's say okay, after a year, after maybe two years, where you sort of feel like you're in a good place with the branding, you kind of feel like you're in a good place with the product. What challenges have you run into as far as growth? Is it on the uh, manufacturing side? Is it on the production side? Is it on the advertising side? Where are your struggles now as far as figuring out, okay, what's the next step? Uh, gaining, uh, gaining access in the grocery stores is always mm-hmm. a challenge. It's The industry is not welcoming to newcomers. Hmm. And there are a lot of barriers to, to overcome. And a big part of that is, is economic. The, the big guys have much larger uh, bank accounts and muscles sure. and, and, and economies of scale. So our price points are a little bit higher than the competition. Hmm. And that's, that's a challenge that, you know, I battle with if, if you know, should I try to lower our price point, but then I'm going to be, you know, may have very little margin and, and be right. starving the company. Um, and so I kind of put that challenge back on myself to, to better uh, brand and market and, and raise the awareness of, of the business of, of Montaigne. Yeah. Um, so that's one, one barrier that is uh, always going to be there probably. Sure. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, that's, that's the, the big one. The I would challenge. say. Yeah. So walk me through the assembly line of <laughs> spring to, you know, the can sitting behind you. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 I don't know how technical you want to get, but you, um, first you get the water very cold and mm-hmm. then it goes into a carbonation tank. It's so it's high cold force carbonation. Mm-hmm. So it's high pressure, um, and it's the the water is just above freezing at that point yeah then it goes into a a rotary filler and it uh, measures the exact amount of water to go into each can Hmm. and it's all going at light speed it's it's faster Hmm. than that i can see and then um oh and the the um the flavor is added during the carbonation uh, it's it's dosed in at the the carbonation phase so then it goes into the can. Then the the seamer puts the lid on the cans and and uh, creates a seam. All of that gets checked by an X-ray machine to make sure yeah. that it's it's up to spec. Any can that's a low fill or overfill, uh, it catches it on the weight and it kicks it out of the line. Hmm. And um, then it goes into the the packing uh, part of the the production. So. It, our cans are packed into eight packs. Those eight packs then go 
three Apex to a tr- cardboard tray, if you think of like a tray of sure. beer, uh, and then they get palletized and, and out the door into to the grocery store. Nice. Now, is that all happening at your production facility, or do you have to take it? Uh, are you doing additional packaging through another? We another we, part, we use partner? a co-packer. Yep. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, wow, that's amazing. I'm just trying to picture like the like you said, 110 feet underground, getting through there, and then the the light speed process of going in. That's super cool. All right, tell me about the product line. Um, that it, first, tell me about the the first product line that you released and mm-hmm. what you released right off the bat, and then how has your product line evolved to what to what you offer today? Yeah, I first launched with the unflavored. We call it original mm-hmm. and lemon honeysuckle. It was actually Meyer lemon honeysuckle uh, okay. in, in the beginning, and uh, cucumber lime. Okay. And we came up with those flavors. I, I came up with a list of, of of flavors. Then I made pairs that complemented each other. And then at Switchyards in the coffee shop, sure. kind of paneling and getting friends together and getting their feedback. And I had this little grading rubric. And the lemon honeysuckle and cucumber lime were were the flavors that stood out the most. Hmm. Uh, they were also, it's important to have exclusive flavors. You don't want any copycats sure. of something that's sure. already out there. Um, but they just tasted really good. And yeah. so it, um, those are the ones we came to market with. And when we did the rebrand, we came out with the grapefruit peach, hmm. which has, um, has been very, very popular. And uh, grapefruit, citrus in general, it works well with, with, sparkling water and, and grapefruit is yeah. is uh it, it just tastes good <laughs> nice nice i'm sure a lot of uh a lot of testing over the years and um like you said switch yards having that community to be candid with you like you said but uh you know i'm sure you've learned a lot from the cart too especially at, at pond city just the okay what do you like what do you not like yep. you know people being super honest i'm sure yes yep. yeah uh p- yep People are very candid, especially especially <laughs> older folks. The, I think the older you are, the more direct you you give it to folks. The less you give a darn yeah. about hurting others' feelings, I think. That's cool. Well, we like to kind of wrap things up a lot by talking about, okay, you built it to where it is now. Where are you going? Where do you see Montaigne in five, ten years from now? What are your goals for the, the company moving forward? Yeah, we want to continue to come out with delicious flavors and if anybody has ideas please send them my way nice um and we want to continue to grow our footprint so we're actually expanding into whole foods florida in march which is which is exciting we're in six southern states but adding florida and we're working on a direct consumer uh channel as well it's awesome well, Hollis, uh, enjoyed learning about Montaigne. Thanks so much for being with us. We're glad to have you, uh, you know, as a, as a Georgia native company on the show. And hopefully Atlanta continues to, to be good to you. Let us know if there's anything we can do to spread the good word. If you, uh, if you drop a new flavor, let us know. We'll, uh, we'll get the announcement out there for you on, on our site as well. Absolutely. So thank you, sir. And we'll catch up with you soon. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. You can purchase Montaigne Sparkling Spring Water in grocery stores and restaurants across the South. To find out more, head to their website, montanespring.com.
Atlanta Born and Brand is a production of Connects Media. We're a full-service digital media company focused on helping small businesses tell their story in the most effective way they can. If you'd like to tell the story of your business, we would love to help. You can find us at connectstatl.com. Make sure to subscribe to Atlanta Born and Brand and Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening. If you like the show, we'd really appreciate a review and a rating. And of course, share it with your friends. Keep up with the show on social media. We're at ATL Born Brand on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also like our Atlanta Born and Brand Facebook page. Finally, you can find all the previous episodes of the show on our website, atlborn.com. For Atlanta Born and Brand and Connects Media, I'm Jonathan Hilliard. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you all soon.